The music is wonderful to our ears as we listen to each other passing the peace, <clears throat> loving on one another, getting caught up, expressing our kindness and tenderness and generosity to God's people. Blessings to all of you. Before I launch into the message, I just want to say thank you for something. Uh, this message, uh, you'll hear a call, you'll hear an invitation, and, and I will be summoning you. I will be calling out to you to, to come and to, to seek and turn and all these types of things in Isaiah 55. Um, but I, I, I want to say thank you that sometimes when we sing, we sing upward and outward to the Lord for his ears, kind of. And, and other times, like in, in Colossians three, we, we go horizontal and, and we sing the word to one another. And I just felt like this morning I really needed to hear his word, and so I just shut my mouth. Yes, I did. And I opened my ears, and I heard all of you singing, come. And so there was an invitation and a summon to the preacher to just kind of come in and rest and relish and rejoice in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I just want to say thank you. That's a wonderful way to start as I come up into the pulpit to do this for you. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Isaiah 55. If you don't have your Bible or a device to get a hold of God's Word, then I ask you to raise your hand. That's pretty uh, exposing. And someone in the back will grab a Bible and run it down to you. We've got to have God's Word both in our laps and in our hearts this morning. And so I wanted to start off this morning with a basic observation. Most of you have made this observation, whether you are looking in the mirror or looking across the street or at the news or whatnot. It's a basic observation, but it is a most profound observation. It looks at people even in the womb and those who come out of the womb and into this world. We share something so common that sometimes we lose sight of this basic observation. Here it is. Deep longings absolutely saturate the human soul. We long for splendor that we cannot, that we can share rather than just simply look at. Or, or we long for an uninterrupted, honest, and encouraging embrace from someone that we trust. We have these deep longings, deep in our souls. We long for agreement that sees truth, loves truth, listens to truth, and enjoys truth with one another. We long for relationships that do not break down and in which we find mutual love that abounds. We long, we desire, we hunger for things like this. We long for others to come and carry mercy to the guilty and sit with the downtrodden. We long for innocence and goodness and, and, and purity. We long for beauty that never fades 
ore is never raided and breaks in and takes it away from us. We long for sights and smells and even savoring of this kind of beauty. We, we long for peace so that guilt does not crush us and that our conscience stops haunting us. We, we long for a world that is like a fertile garden pushing out constant fruit or, or like a city whose streets are clean of drugs and thugs, whose walls are high and protective, whose citizens aren't judged by the color of their skin or the bank account that they possess, who are unified, who are happy, who are helpful, who are loving, who are considerate, who are countless. We long for things of this nature. We long, in other words, for full and forever. Deep longings, beloved, saturate human souls. So why? I ask that question to each of us. Why? Why do we have these persistent, deep longings that are not dulled by our pursuit of substitutes or quieted by the furnishings of our own efforts? Why do they keep hounding us and talking to us? Our longings of relationship in which we experience uninterrupted and unfading and never-ending peace, joy, purpose, pleasure, love, are in fact, and here's the answer, by design longings for the God of creation and his son of redemption. Yet, tragically, human desires corrupted by sin turn in on themselves rather than finding satisfaction from God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this morning's message is to spread a banquet in front of you, a banquet of glory before us so that our restless hearts will rest in all that God is for us in Jesus. And what I pray we hear today just might change our lives forever. We will be confronted by exquisite beauty and matchless promises that cannot be broken. We will be seated at a table on which succulent foods and drinks will be offered. Now the question for each of us is this. How do we taste and see that what is before us is truly a great banquet so that all of us can eat and drink regularly, ongoingly, forever and ever? How is each of us to be refreshed by this gospel that's about ready to go out or perhaps even be converted by this gospel that's going to be going out? With these types of questions guiding us to the table of a great banquet, a great banquet free, full, and forever, we're going to find it in God's word, and I pray by God's spirit, find it deep in our hearts. Are we there? Teresa's got her Bibles open to Isaiah 55. Please stand with me as we listen reverently and with anticipation, God's word.
coming out of so long ago, 735 B.C., and yet preserved down through the ages right into 2022 so that we can actually hear the voice of the Lord. Listen as I read Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up myrtle. And it this worldwide celebration, it, this worldwide transformation shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we stand before you hearing your word. I do not just want to preach. I want to participate. And I want to participate in the very word that's preached. So work on my heart as we pray and open my eyes as we pray. And now I ask for this precious congregation the very same thing. Oh, do we not merely want to Sit and listen. We want to participate in the proclamation of the wonder of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. So make that happen. Awaken our hearts. Illumine our eyes and stop our ears. Animate 
our limbs that we will give you glory and praise for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so the, uh, the structure of Isaiah 55 is fairly plain to us. Verses 1 through 5, you will see on the, there it is, on the screen, the everlasting covenant. And here we're going to be looking at joy to the individual. So in verses 1 through 5, we're going to be seeing God's word. And by that I mean he's going to give us a picture of an individual. And so we'll be looking at this picture. And I pray that it won't just be a portrait on a wall so that you can walk by and kind of look at it. But maybe even it's a, a mirror. And that you look into this mirror and you see a person. And that person is you. And so you just start thinking more carefully about yourself in this. But verses 1 through 5 is about a person. And it will be in a picture. And then we'll start looking at this person. And we'll look at the offer to this person. Then we'll shift into verses 6 through 13. And now we're looking at the whole world, and there will be a transformation, an everlasting sign, joy to the world. Now, when I gave this slide uh, to Hannah, she broke out in a song. Can you imagine which one that is? I didn't think that was really appropriate for this morning, but if it's humming around in your heart, it's a good Good song to, to sing. An everlasting sign, an everlasting covenant. We're going to be looking at the individual, and then it's going to transfer on over to an everlasting sign, joy to the world. So let's take a look at verses 1 through 3, and this is in a form of a picture. Now, do you see this, this person here? This person is... Thirsty, broke, and foolish. That's what this person looks like. And there's this invitation found in verse 1 going right at this person. Thirsty, broke, and, and foolish person. Now this, uh, this man, woman, boy, or girl finds that they need satisfaction. And where is that found? And so this picture is to start working on the individual, to start thinking about their own lives and what, uh, what, they, what they need. And so this person who is broke, spending everything they have, cannot find bread, cannot find the satisfaction... They cannot make life work apart from God. That's the essence of it. Whether this search for satisfaction runs after activities, persons, or substances, things like vacations, or sports, or sex, or hobbies, or work, or parties, or political campaigns, or children and spouses and leaders and lovers and foods and drinks and drugs and, and on and on and on it goes. 
Attempting to make life work apart from God is what Isaiah means in verse 2. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? It literally reads on no bread. It's a noun. This is a no bread that we spend our monies on. Augustine in the 5th century AD, the theologian in Africa, said a sentence in one of his books, Confessions, that many of you know about. And it's good as a reminder, but it is, our hearts are restless. They just are fidgety, looking this way and that way and darting here and there. They're restless until they find their rest in thee. Over every effort outside of God that man makes to quench the soul thirst could be written dissatisfaction guaranteed, 100%. The haves or the have-nots, the rich or the poor, the well-adjusted or the misfits, we all have one thing in common, dissatisfied. This is what the Lord is telling us in verse 2. Now, the second observation related to this individual in this picture has to do with what he needs to do. He's not just looking at himself or hearing about himself. He needs to do something. When you're reading the Bible, they didn't, they didn't have highlights in those days, so you got this big yellow thing in your, in your Bible or something. They used repetition and in patterns. And so here in this passage, you find repetition. Now, I want you just to look back at your Bible in, in verses uh, 1 through 3 and, and, and look at the word come. How many times do you find that? And, and look at the word listen. How many times do you find that? I wrote in here, in my notes here, three times for come, and then I read it again right before I got up here to preach, and I saw four. <laughs> There's a bunch of them. I wonder if that's the highlight, the, the, the accent. Come and do what? Listen. Pay attention. Obey the commands to take all that is offered, to eat all that is put out before you, to delight in and drink as much as you can, and it will overflow from your soul and mouth and life. That is what this person is supposed to do. That's the command. Come and listen. Take note and obey these commands to eat, drink, be satisfied. So what's the offer? Here we have a person, but now there's an offer being put before this person. What, 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 is, the, what is the offer? Well, we shift our attention to the banquet itself, and we find beverages. There's three of them. Water, milk, and wine. Now, these beverages are to communicate something of the offer. Throughout the Bible, these beverages are talked about to communicate something of God's grace and mercy. 
When water is talked about, it usually is referred to something to like overcome dryness, a spiritual dehydration, if you will, easily tempted to faint and get dizzy in perspective. Uh, when milk is referred to, generally it refers to nourishment. And when the writers discuss wine in a positive sense, here they're pointing to joy. So we could say that this banquet spread out before the thirsty is full-bodied, loaded with amazing taste, and abounding with quantity. You just cannot count all that's coming at you. Are you dry, depleted, depressed? Well, here before us, we have beverages. Scooted out on the table and a summon to come to the table. Here is water for you. Here is milk for you. Here, have a glass of wine. But then as we look at it further, it's not really literal drinks here, is it? No, these are figurative, and figuratively, it always points to the literalness of what it's communicating. And so just like all gifts God gives us, we never terminate our hunt for happiness in the gifts themselves, but rather we, we adhere our souls on a gift and watch what the gift does for us. It moves us, it escorts us, it takes us someplace. We're on a destination. We don't stop and enjoy just a, a gift from the Lord, which are plentiful for God's people. Rather, we hook our wagon to that tractor and it will take us to what? It's not a what, it's a who. He shifts from Come to these beverages, and now in verse, I think it's three. I forgot my glasses, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so keep praying. <laughs> it's in here. You look. It, it, it shifts, though, from, from these beverages on to come to M-E. Come to me, the gospel is not some impersonal, abstract, outside of ourselves, just a message. Oh, it is that. But it's infinitely more than that. It takes us to the substance of the message, the person of the message. It takes us to Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is utterly significant. For it tells us that the lavishing descriptions are not just talking about God's gifts. It's talking about God as the best gift that God gives. John 7, 37 cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Who said that? Jesus himself. All of God's patience all of God's grace and mercy are a means to an end. It just escorts us right into the arms of the beloved one, Jesus himself. Now in verses uh, 3b and 5, b means at the latter part of verse 3 and on into verse 5, <clears throat> we see this promise 
as a king. And this, this promise is the Davidic covenant. We'll see it in 2 Samuel 7. We preached that a couple months ago. And it points right to one that was long awaited. And this was a great hope for the Israelites. But what the Israelites failed to understand is these earthly kings that were coming through the lineage uh, of Abraham and actually clear back into, uh, into uh, Adam and, and into uh, Genesis 1 through 3. You, you trail this, and they're, they're all earthly, and they all suffered from sin, and they all stumbled, and they had failings. And, and, and the Israelites were pinning their hopes on earthly kings. And particularly in Isaiah's day, and you read 2 Kings, you just see a litter of kings falling this way and that way. Does that mean that he has reneged his promise? He's broken his promise. 2 Samuel 7, there's a king coming under whom we will find protection and provision forevermore. This passage here says that there is the new covenant, the eternal covenant about a king. And you see it in his position. You see in verse 4, the worldwide leader, the chief officer that leads his people into battle for victory. That's his position. And then look at verse 5. Here's his power. What would you expect a mighty, majestic king to show his power. Verse 5 says, he speaks. That's what he does. He, he speaks, he talks, he commands. And look what happens in verse 5. Oh, if I could read it right now, I would do it for you. The nations run to him. You know, I've tried this before. Not on my wife. She's just an adorable wife. That, that, it, just, uh, it, it wouldn't work that well. But I do it on my dog. His name is Toby, and I'll say, here, Toby, come here, come here. I'm using my voice. And you know what Toby does? It's almost like I don't even exist. So I raise my voice, and the neighbors think I'm crazy, and I am go, Toby! And he'll go, what? I'll say, come here! And he'll, Nonchalant. That, that's not authority. It's not power. Look at verse 5. We're talking about the world. We're talking about the nations. And all he does is speak. And they don't just meander. It says they run. Here's his position. The great high king, the commander, the chief officer leading us into battle. And he uses his voice and says, come. And we come. So now we shift our, our thoughts and our attention. Coming out of verses 1 through 5, there is a person, there is an individual who is desperately in need of fresh grace, grace that will take us to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose name is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who came as a man and lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died. And he was raised in triumphant vindication as the first fruits of the new creation who put their hope in him. That's the one. And each individual in here or watching on a screen or 
Two years from now, you click and you're listening to this, you hear his voice. You are to hear his voice and come to him. But now notice the shift. There's a shift now into to verses 6 through 13. And here it's an interesting shift because it goes from an individual to an entire world. It goes from everlasting covenant to an everlasting sign. Now I want you to pay close attention to this. And all I'm going to do is disclose the message by simply showing you kind of the flow of events there. And, and, it, and it starts off with a, a command. How are we going to enjoy this banquet? It says, obey. And there's two commands given to us that we are to sit up, listen intently, incline the ear, and say, I will. I'm going to move into this. But then, just like our gracious Lord, he doesn't just put out raw commands. He could, but he doesn't. He loves us, and he, he puts out commands, and then right after it, he always, all through the Bible, and I'll use the word always, and then you correct me as you read your Bible in one place or another, whatnot. but you'll hear a command, and, and soon thereafter it follows this sweet, wooing, caressing, inviting promise, almost motivation to obedience. That's what we find here. So look with me, because <laughs> I can't look, but in, 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 in verse 6, there is a command, and it's obey. What, what are we to obey? It says, seek. Seek. So if you're here this morning and you go, yeah, I'm dry. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught in a certain addiction. Yeah, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm depressed. I'm distracted. I used to be close to the Lord. At least I felt like I was close. I was walking with him. And now I've drifted to a certain place and I don't even know where I'm at. That's not normal. You don't just shrug. You sit up and the voice of the commander, the king, is saying, seek. So that's number one, seek. And then as you travel through there a little bit more, you start seeing turn. And so as we've been going through the liturgies and confessions, as we've been singing to one another as we've been moving into Isaiah and an open heart and open ears and open eyes, you start going, I have a besetting sin. I, I, I can't just coddle it. I can't just ignore it. I can't just try to manage it. I've got to, what's the word? Repent. There's the summon. You want the banquet? Here it is, spread out before you. Seek. Repent. And now look at how it flows. If we just left it there, it'd be there. But now there's three motivations woven into here to reach into your hearts and start moving them towards obedience of seeking and repenting so that you can imbibe deeply the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are they? So, so notice there's three fours, not four like a number, but F-O-R. And, and you, can, you can feel it moving from 
from an obligation into a declaration. You, you can kind of sense it moving towards, here's commands to, here's some sweet promises. We are to obey the commands, but when you hear a promise, how do we obey a promise? We, we trust. We, we, we actually just lean in and rest in and say, I believe these. What are the promises? Well, the first one is, our ways are not like his. What does that mean? For I abundantly pardon. If that doesn't grab your heart and attention, I don't know what will. See, see, we measure out and we weigh out. Here's a little bit of compassion. Here's a little bit of forgiveness. Here's a little bit of grace. That's human. But his ways are not like our ways. He abundantly pardons. He doesn't just pardon. He just, it's overflowing. And when you really start feeling that, you just want to get close to him. Because you're not afraid of condemnation. You just open wide and you confess your sins and you run, you seek him and you dive in and imbibe this love and this generosity, abundant pardon. There's the first powerful promise that just starts caressing a cold heart and woos it into liveliness and moves it to seek and turn and get close. There's another one in there. As far as the... Um, as, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. Notice that the authority of just a, a word. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. That's... God speaking right now. He never releases a word from this pulpit week in and week out or never releases a word as you look at it in your studies or, or with one another. So in other words, we trust that the word works. It, 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 it works. It's inside us and, and it, every promise will never, ever be broken. It accomplishes what it desires to do. And we trust that. We don't need certain strategies and mechanisms to joy to the world, transformation of individual and, and the cosmos, the whole entire universe. No, no, no. It comes out of his mouth. Read Genesis 1. So there's the second one that is to bode well in a quivering heart that my word works Trust my word. And that will lead to obedience. Trust and obey type of thing. And there's a final one there. And that is, he has a happy future for all of you. And that is understated completely. Look at what verses 12 and 13 are saying. This whole desert is being transformed 
into a garden like Eden. Winter has to release its icy grip because spring is coming. And it's, it's going to blossom. And it's going to shoot forth all this garden-like beauty. And it won't just be in the backyard. It will just be global. The whole world will transform. Here and now, yes, in part. If you come here as a desert, leave as a garden. But, but there's a happy future we cannot sink in depression and hopelessness because this is an actual promise. He who came and stretched out his arms on behalf of you and me, our salvation, and went up into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father will come again and he will transform our bodies and our whole existence, our whole world. That is a happy future for you and you, and you, and me. So that's the banquet, the great banquet that's spread out for all of you, all of you who qualify for it, such as thirsty, broke, and foolish, because Jesus came to do the incredible thing of buying you back and washing you, cleansing you, and bringing you into himself. And so, closing this message down and then seamlessly moving to the table where there are elements and we hear in remembrance of M-E, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of Christ. Think about this, please. We just heard the most amazing message in the whole entire world. Nothing will come close to it. Certainly not because I released it. It's right out of Holy Scriptures, and it's this. There is no necessary tension between our desire for joy and His aim to be glorified. There's no necessary tension between that. Rather, they, they, they meet and mingle and married together in the covenant, the eternal covenant found in Jesus Christ. The gladness of our hearts and the glory of his name unite in the enjoyment of covenant love found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's a message for the whole world. That's a message for Veritas. That's a message for you and you and just individuals collectively. Here it is. And so you will hear the summon. Summon to this message for seeking and repenting, imbibing deeply the abundant pardon and pleasure of God found in Jesus Christ. And then you will hear the summon come to the table, all of you who have turned from your sins and put your hope and trust in Christ. If we do this, beloved, by his appointed means and destination... Our hearts will be satisfied. He, in the midst of this whole process, will be glorified. His reputation and our congregation will meet and marry in such a way 
that there is no tension between those. We live in Christ for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, I want to come to you and say thank you so very much. 735 B.C. writings. What? Yes. The Bible says that they are living words. They are preserved. They are canonized and codified and come down into our laps and into our hearts. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's newness of life in us as a result of what you have done in your word and work through your son, Jesus. So we just lift up hallelujahs to you, lift up praise to you, and ask now that you will invite us to the table and then infiltrate the table with you so that we will be refreshed as we leave this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.